This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Who comes to mind when you think of a successful entrepreneur? Is it Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Bill Gates? To be sure, these are three of the most successful founders. But it may surprise you that most other successful founders look very different from them. In fact, most startup origin stories are very different from the famous unicorns that have achieved valuations of over $1 billion, from Facebook to Google to Uber. That's the subject of Wharton professor Ethan Mollock's new book, The Unicorn Shadow, Combating the Dangerous Myths that Hold Back Startups, Founders, and Investors. I'm Brett Legerato, Senior Editor for Wharton School Press. I had an opportunity to talk with Mollock, who is also the co-founder of Wharton Interactive. In this interview, we discuss Mollock's new book, his research on startups and entrepreneurship, and his teaching and work with Wharton Interactive. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. What originally drew you to your area of research, and, and how did you ultimately come to Wharton? So um, I came here through a little bit of a roundabout path. I started off as a consultant and then with a college roommate launched a startup company in the sort of early days of the internet. Um, we invented the paywall, so I'm sorry. Um, and I literally made every mistake possible in the company. It was ultimately successful, but I did basically everything wrong. So I thought, I'm going to go get an MBA and figure out how to be an entrepreneur. And I went to MIT to get an MBA, and I realized nobody really knew the answers. Mm -hmm. So I decided I'll figure it out or help figure it out. So I just got a PhD, and that's been my mission ever since, is figuring out how to make entrepreneurship and innovation more science-driven, more accessible. Yeah, how do, talk about a little bit about how Wharton's approach um, and your own approach toward teaching entrepreneurship is, is I guess, a shaped by uh, your past experience, and also um, how it's how it's different than other leading business schools, and how um, our students learn differently here based on your style. One of the really exciting things that's been happening in entrepreneurship has been that in the last few years that we suddenly have a lot of evidence about what makes entrepreneurs successful. So we're trying to teach people at Wharton the evidence-based approach. So not only what evidence we have, but also how to find their own evidence and do experiments to become more successful entrepreneurs. So those are the through lines that follow through all of our classes. And we also alternate things like traditional business pitches with things like elaborate simulations that people run through. So lots of different kinds of experiential and classroom learning. So you wrote this book um, to dispel some of the myths of entrepreneurship, and you talked in your own experience about mistakes. Um, why do you think it's so important for people to be aware of, of what you call the myths of entrepreneurship, and, and what do you think are, are the most, some of the most common assumptions that entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs get wrong? So entrepreneurship has historically been full of myths because we haven't had data. So people have been making decisions based on gut feel and intuition and trying to pattern match. And some of the patterns they've been matching have been those of very successful past founders. But the problem is those successful past founders tend to look very similar to each other. They're often male, young college dropouts with a technical background, like Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg. And the research shows that that is not the best or only model to be a founder. And as a result, people who might otherwise enter entrepreneurship are discouraged because they look at founders that are famous and that they see in the movies, and they don't resemble those people, and they think they can't be founders. But the evidence shows that that's not right at all. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about the, the book has, a, has an eye-catching title, The Unicorn Shadow. Um, let's talk about that and how that came to be. So a unicorn is the nickname for a company, private company, with over a billion-dollar valuation. So 
that's Uber, or Airbnb, all these pre-IPO companies are unicorns. And because these unicorns are the public face, the sort of what you get to be if you're a rock star in the entrepreneurial world, they have an outsized influence over the entire industry. So they cast sort of a shadow in their own shape over everything else. So people want to be like these companies. So they find themselves emulating these organizations. Though the research shows that not only does this usually not lead to success, right, emulating these approaches, but it also discourages a lot of people who might otherwise enter entrepreneurship to avoid it because they don't see themselves as being in the shadow and the mold of these unicorns. What is, what's one thing you want readers to take away from your book, or I guess another way to put it is, um, what's one surprising bit of advice you'd give a reader looking to become an entrepreneur? So there's this feeling that entrepreneurs are born and not made, and that is, by and large, completely incorrect. And if an entrepreneur can be made, that means an entrepreneur can be taught. And one of the most exciting sets of evidence that we've had in the last year have been a set of studies showing that people who learn to be better entrepreneurs, their companies do better, they get higher revenue, they're more likely to survive. So what I'd like people to get out of the book overall is there are skills you can learn to be a better entrepreneur, and I think that we teach those skills in the book. Um, in your own research, you've done a lot of different kind of research from uh, everything from crowdfunding to the persistent issue of gender gaps um, in different areas of the startup world. What data has surprised you the most in, in all of your research? So I would say that there's a couple of interesting, surprising things. One piece of good news, one piece of bad news. Mm -hmm. uh, the good news, I study crowds, and it turns out crowdfunding and when large groups of people get together to make decisions, they're actually pretty rational decisions. They also tend to reward risk-taking in ways that if you just ask experts, they're actually more conservative and less likely to fund really interesting, innovative projects than the crowd will. On the downside, um, I and along a lot of other researchers have been looking at gender gaps in entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. especially persistence of funding gender gaps, why women uh, see, receive much less VC than men. And those have proved to be amazingly stubborn and persistent across many different measures, different cultures, uh, and different approaches. And I think we're still trying to untangle the problem and offer better solutions. Penn is universally rated as one of the top schools for aspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, a recent analysis found Penn to be fourth in the number of CEOs who have gone on to lead startups, uh, raising at least $1 million. So in the process of getting there, what do you think helps make Wharton students and Penn students so successful? I'd like to claim it was all due to our teaching, and so we'll try and claim some credit for that for me and my colleagues. Mm -hmm. But I think it goes beyond that. I think that the, uh, the secret story of the success of entrepreneurship is not the lone genius who comes up with that idea, but it's the manager who builds a team, who successfully leads an organization, who considers strategy and finance and all these other pieces. And at Wharton, we're one of the top business schools. We teach how to do those kind of things. And those skills are actually valued in startups just as much as they are in the corporate world. So uh, on to another topic. You co-founded Wharton Interactive with Sarah Toms, another Wharton School Press author. Um, talk to us about the origins of that and what you ultimately hope to accomplish with uh, the effort. Our teaching, the way we teach today in schools, is very similar to the way Socrates taught about 2,500 years ago, right? So Socratic method, lecture, sage on a stage, we call it, where you stand up and you say things. And that can be very compelling, right? Cases can be compelling. Lectures can be compelling. But we've had a massive technological change in the last you know, few decades that have enabled new forms of teaching. And that's combined with a games industry that I've been studying for a very long time and I've been building games for a long time. And games offer really compelling templates for teaching uh, and for educating. So we sort of combine this 
interactivity of games and simulations with new modes of teaching and use that to kind of create very new experiences, simulations that teach you interactive tools that bring the classroom into the real world and vice versa. And we're really trying to transform education in a fundamental way. How is co-founding Wharton Interactive um, kind of changed the way that you personally um, approach teaching and think about teaching, and, and how has it expanded your capacity to reach new learners? So when you teach entrepreneurship, usually most classes in most universities end with a pitch, right? The end of your sort of entrepreneurial experience is a pitch. That's also usually where startup accelerators, uh, business plan contests, they all end with sort of pitching. And pitching is really cool, and we teach it. Uh, but that pitch, that initial pitch for your idea, is usually happens a few months into your startup. But the really interesting stuff often happens in your startup eight months, 10 months, 12 months in, where we know a lot about how to grow a company, how to scale it, how to hire. And those are things that don't come up in pitches. So one of the things that we're doing that's really exciting at Wharton is we've built a simulation that's a real-time simulation where students help run a business. It's a fake business. But we've built fake Gmail, fake Slack, fake Dropbox. And you literally run a business over the course of three weeks in real time and get that experience of what it's like to actually deal with customers and suppliers and finance financial issues and lawyers. So that lets us go deeper and as well as further into the startup process. Uh, on the, the simulation, um, tell us a bit more about it and, and how it's going to provide a different, um, more hands-on experience uh, for, for learners and, and aspiring entrepreneurs. Yeah, so the simulation, which we call the Looking Glass simulation, has actually been running for several years. And what's really exciting about it is students, as they play the simulation, actually get the experience of having run a startup in real life. So it's almost like a flight simulator for running a startup or Dungeons and Dragons for managers. Um, and that you actually run through and live through these scenarios in advance. And what's exciting about that is I find that people who go through the simulation, first of all, they rate it as much more effective than other kinds of teaching techniques. But what's cool is I've had students reach out to me two years after playing the simulation as they run their own startups and they're raising venture capital and they talk about events that happen in the simulation as if they happen to them in real life. Mm -hmm. So trying to really give people that experience, that sort of inception moment of having lived through this before is a really big benefit. What's the, uh, the weirdest or most surprising thing that's, that's happened during one of the simulations that you've, you've heard about? Um, or what's, uh, what have been some of the unexpected benefits or hurdles of, of conceiving of some of the sim simulations? So we do a lot of interesting simulations. I have personally built, I think, uh, with partners, two board games, a couple of different uh, single-player games, and some elaborate multiplayer games. Our most elaborate right now is actually an escape room that teaches you to be a better leader uh, while you pilot a fictional ship landing on Saturn. So we have had executives walking around in space helmets, uh, talking in walkie-talkies as they try and repair the hull of their failing spaceship. Uh, and at the same time, we're watching everything they do to see how they lead and communicate and talk with each other. So we actually have lots of interesting kind of wacky events happening on a regular basis. Entrepreneurship is the engine for growth of the economy. Basically, all new jobs come from startups, right? New, new ventures are the key to economic growth, and they're often the key to individuals raising their social economic status. And talent is everywhere, right? We have a big world full of talented people, but opportunity is not well distributed, right? The flip side of Wharton being one of the best places in the world to start being an entrepreneur is that it's really easy to start a company from Wharton. It's less easy if you don't have access to the resources, education, and connections here. And I think one of our big missions at Wharton and one of the big missions with the book is to try and take what we've learned, what we know about entrepreneurship, and make that accessible to more people. Democratize opportunity and not just democratizing, uh, you know, the ability to start a company. Mm -hmm. What's the hardest thing that you found about writing the book? 
the world's awash in entrepreneurial wisdom, right? There are lots of successful entrepreneurs who will tell you their gut feelings about how they succeeded. There are lots of successful and very persuasive uh, venture capitalists who have written manifestos on what it takes to run a startup company and have active Twitter accounts that are full of information. But that's based on wisdom. That's based on one person interpreting the experience of their success or the successes they've seen. And our research actually shows that most of those interpretations aren't actually correct. Right? If you actually interview people about why they failed their company and then compare that to the real reasons, there's a huge gap because people tell stories that are not necessarily related to what actually happened. So what's gone on in, in all over uh, in business academia, but especially here at Wharton, has been a revolution in empirical analysis of entrepreneurship. And what I hope to do in the book is give you the latest research for just even the last few years on <clears throat> what it takes to be a successful startup. doesn't substitute for the wisdom, but it helps to have some real knowledge there, some real data to go along with it. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.